Welcome to the weekly podcast from Spring of Life Church, located in the heart of downtown Portland. We hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. For more information, visit us at springoflifepdx.com. morning it's so good to see you guys here today and a great Merry Christmas not just for those who are here but those who are watching on the live stream and uh, my friend Daniel let me know that he's watching so hey Daniel glad you're joining us and everybody else it's so awesome to continue in this message series where we have been studying all that Jesus has done all that Jesus came to do as we are unpacking this in a series called seek the king we have this deep belief that Christmas time is not just the arrival of a baby in a little town in Bethlehem but really the promise fulfilled by God for us for all of time. It's such an awesome time, and I hope this is a great season for you. My wife said earlier, I think, whether it was in this service or the last, that there's nine days left till Christmas, which that does not get me excited. It makes me feel like panic, like what? I have so much to do, so many people to shop for. Um, But I hope that this is nine days of joy and excitement for you, because this is really a great time. If you think so, just let me hear say yes. Yes. Trent, you didn't say yes. You look stressed out. Okay, we'll keep praying for you. Uh, Well, we are so glad that you're here to worship with us today. And our message is called The Hope and the Promise. And we're going to be studying two often forgotten characters, the characters of Simeon and Anna. And if you have a copy of the Bible, then I encourage you to go ahead and open them up to Luke chapter 2. We'll do some reading and study today. And if not, we have free copies available to anybody who wants. And we'll have the words on the screen as well. 
Um, yesterday, we got to celebrate a sacred tradition in the Bennett household every Saturday. Many of you know, talk about it all the time. It's called Pop-Tart Saturday because we're creative people. It happens on Saturday, and we eat Pop-Tarts. <laughs> yesterday, oh man, jackpot, we had chocolate fudge Pop-Tarts, which is always a big day for me. And um, so the other thing that we do is we choose a movie and watch it together. And because I have a strong personality, I'm raising a four-year-old daughter with a strong personality, there's usually like a battle of the will. Um, but we're all friends in the end, usually. Um, so yesterday I got to pick the movie and um, I chose something that like one of those lists I found like holiday movies you probably haven't watched this year. And so I picked it out and uh, it's called Arthur Christmas. Anybody ever seen it? See, you need to go watch it. Um, and it's a little forgotten Christmas movie. And the whole story is about someone who had been forgotten at Christmas. It was this beautiful little movie. And it really reminded me that one of our biggest fears when it comes to Christmas is being forgotten. Like, we'll, we're, you know, we have a fear of being forgotten or looked over, whether it's by Santa Claus or actually someone meaningful in our lives. Um, and not only do we have a fear of being forgotten, we have a fear of forgetting others. Have any of you ever had that moment when someone is like, here, I got you this Christmas present, and you were not expecting them to give you a Christmas present, and you find yourself completely empty-handed, and you're like, oh, I got you this iPhone. I was done with it, so it's yours now. Um, for a while, we just kept these um, like bags with candles in our closet at our house, so we were always like gift-ready, so pro tip. But it got me thinking, man, how many other forgotten Christmas ca uh, characters are there out in the world? So um, think to your favorite Christmas movies, you know, the regular. Tell me some, like, normal characters that we often think of this time of year. Audience feedback. What are some characters? Scrooge. Well, way to go with the positive. <laughs> right off the bat. That's good. Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim. God bless us, everyone. Yes. What are some other good ones? You guys need to go watch some Christmas movies. Frosty, Santa Claus, yes, Rudolph. What'd you say? He gets the spotlight. Oh, he always gets the spotlight. So yes, we, we have these, okay, enough talking. <laughs> Shut it down. Um, so yeah, we have these like often remembered characters, but I started thinking, what about the characters we forget about that we need to show some love this holiday season? So I'm gonna show you some of my favorites and hopefully getting you to think about some of your forgotten characters. This is one of my favorites, Harry from Home Alone. Um, now maybe you have forgotten Harry, but please don't. Harry went through a lot for your holiday enjoyment. He had his head set on fire. He is hand was brandished by a red-hot doorknob. He, um, famous actor going through crazy stuff, but all for our holiday enjoyment. Um, how about this next guy, Ralphie, from The Christmas Story. Now, anybody love The Christmas Story? I don't get it. I think it's awful. Uh, super boring, but I'm glad that you do. I want to learn how to enjoy Ralphie through your story and your enjoyment. But, you know, all he wanted with that crazed look in his eye is a gun that could shoot his eye out. Um, next up, we have Jacob Marley. Don't forget about Jacob Marley because nothing says Christmas like an old Victorian ghost. <laughs> that just says merriment. Um, and then maybe the very favorite that we really need to remember today, 
Max from the Grinch, the untold hero of the story. Now, there is a point to talking about these characters, because whenever we think of stories, it's not just the big idea that is important. It's the details that really brings the story to life. Without these side characters in these movies, we would be losing nuance and context and depth. I mean, without Max, we would have no idea what the heart of the story really was. So I'm so happy that when it comes to what I believe is the greatest story of all time, God becoming a person and living among us by the name of Jesus, the story of him coming from heaven to earth, I'm so glad that it's not just the big broad strokes and the familiar characters, that there are even small little stories along the way that give us context and depth. And sometimes we will see that it is the small stories that can teach us big things. What I think a focus on a story like today, these two characters of Simeon and Anna, it remembers that these characters are not just fun to remember. It reminds us that we can be these small characters that are unforgotten in a story like this. You know, there is nothing more isolating in our lives than when we realize we have a need in our lives. There's nothing more isolating than remembering a hurt that hasn't healed yet, or maybe is fresh, or facing a challenge we just don't know how we can overcome, or looking at a worry that seems to grow every single day. That can be an isolating experience, and it can leave us asking the question, what is the promise, and where is the hope? And that's why I think today is a beautiful Christmas story. Like I said, it reminds us this story is, for, is filled with little forgotten characters that teach us a big lesson. So let me give you some backstory before we read our scripture today. Um, Jesus um, has been born at this point in this story in beautiful, grand fashion. The book of John teaches us that Jesus was present with God at the beginning of time. The Bible says in John 1 that nothing was made that was not made through him. We paint this picture of this incredibly, infinitely powerful being who becomes flesh to dwell among us. And at this moment in the story, some things have already happened. The wise men have already seen the star and made the journey to find this Savior, bringing him beautiful, wonderful gifts. The angels were in the field when they saw this angelic chorus, this host of radiant beings declaring joy to the world and peace to mankind. We've already seen a stable where a stir in the night, a baby has been born, and a young couple have seen a miracle occur as Jesus was born. All of these things have taken place, and 40 days go by. Mary and Joseph were traditionally a Jewish couple. That means they were faithful to God. They were living under the promise that Abraham had received and passed down for generations. And because they lived as people of the promise, there were certain practices that they would go through. And so one of the common practices is that 40 days after a child's birth, they would bring the baby to the temple right in the heart of Jerusalem for his baby dedication. A couple of months ago, we got to dedicate my son, John Charles, to the Lord, and it was this celebratory moment. My arm was going numb from holding him, he's so gigantic, uh, but it was a beautiful moment, and we see that's exactly what was happening here. So on the day of his dedication is right where we pick up in the story, and I'm not just going to read this, we're going to study it a little bit, walk through it together. So let's see what the Bible says. In Luke chapter 2, verse 25, the Bible says this, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
And this name Simeon is a beautiful name. It means receiver from God. It meant uh, prophetically that he could receive messages from God. What a gift. Not only that, but this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. We have some deep ideas about Simeon already. Let's just unpack a few of them because it will give greater majesty and beauty to this text. Who is this Simeon? Let's find out. Well, the Bible says he was righteous and devout. And this word devout is not a word that we often use. Like, hey, have you ever met Sam? Yes, Sam, he is very devout. That's not something that we would normally say, but here's what it meant. Simeon was dedicated to the practices of seeking God. And this word devout, it really means alignment. That he was allowing his life to become aligned with the promises and practices of God. And I think it's so important to point this out here. Because sometimes we come into places like this, this uh, church, to places of worship, and we get these ideas that in order to make God happy, like we've got to do good things in order for God to do good things back to us. But as we unpack a more full understanding of the gospel, we hear this, God is always good, whether or not we are good. Even in the midst of a broken world, even in the midst of broken hearts, God is Good. And so what is this idea of being devout? It is doing our best just to align our lives with the promises of God. And we're going to understand more about that promise as we study today. Simeon was waiting on a promise. What promise? It says here in the scripture, the consolation of Israel. Well, that's a clunky text and we can pass right over it. But if we do, we'll miss so much beauty because the Jewish people were really just people of a promise. And their promise was really simple, that God has never given up on you. Even when you mess up, even when you stray, God has never given up on you. And even though times are bad, and even though things are hard, there is a plan for beauty, for completion, for restoration. Israel, the people of God, the promise of God will one day be made whole. Now, I don't know if you've ever lived in anticipation for something. My daughter has been planning her birthday party for eight months. She lives in like this constant anticipation. I don't know about you, but when I was young, it was so hard to sleep on Christmas Eve because I was just dreaming of never sugar plums. That's stupid. But I did dream of Power Rangers and Ninja Turtles that I was going to get the next day. It is so exciting, yet so stressful to live in hopeful anticipation. And the Bible says that Simeon lived this way, indicating almost for decades, for decades, he was waiting on a promise. And at this point, he would have been an old man. So here he is, this old man living in anticipation at the temple. Verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What a beautiful promise. Now, when I was growing up, there was a lot of talk about the book of Revelation and the second coming of Jesus. And this is a doctrinal teaching that we see throughout Scripture that one day the world as we know it will pass away because something better is coming once and for all. And so we understand that. But there are a lot of mysteries in the Bible about what that looks like. In fact, there is pretty much a certain teaching in the Bible that says this, the one thing that we know is that no one knows 
when that's going to happen. And yet there was a trend when I was growing up that preachers would get up and say things. And I was from the South, so they said things like, Brother, I just believe that I'm not going to pass from this earth until Jesus has returned. And uh, I just remember thinking, maybe. I don't know. You don't know. You look kind of old. I don't know what your blood pressure is. You could go any second now because the point is we don't know when Jesus is going to return, but we should live every day like it could be our last. And I think that's a great tip anyway, like just to live in this anticipation, to get the fullness out of every moment and every day to live without regrets. Don't put important decisions off. And yet we see that Simeon, he had a specific promise only applicable to him, that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him, you are not going to leave planet Earth until you see this promise fulfilled. So every day he woke up thinking, is this the day? Is this the day? Verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. What does that mean? It means he literally walked in a spiritual way, not a religious way, like I have to get up and do the right things at the right time. No, he had an intimate walk with the Holy Spirit of God. He had a special sensitivity to things going on around him. Maybe you've had this in your own life before. Maybe you've been in the middle of doing something and there was this impression on your heart, like, no, that's not the good thing to do. Maybe you were walking down the street and uh, all of a sudden it seemed like your attention was just zeroed in on someone who needed help or care. I believe that's the Holy Spirit of God. I think there's sometimes when there, there's something that we're about to say that almost like it catches in our mouth because we shouldn't have said it. There are other times when we try to be a blessing to someone and we're not sure what we should say, but the right thing seems to appear. That's walking in the Spirit, and that's a promise that God gives to His children. And we see that Simeon was walking in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus, the parents, by the way, Mary and Joseph, They brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. That's that 40-day blessing. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. This is a beautiful moment, but you could also imagine like kind of weird. Like if I had just walked into church and some old man walked up to my baby and like held him up like Rafiki and Simba and he was like, now I can die. I'd be like, that's awesome. Could I have my child back, please? That would be really cool. But we see in the scripture, this was a beautiful moment. This is a beautiful moment that God had ordained to give us these gorgeous details to show that it wasn't just any baby that had been born, but the fulfillment of a promise that had been long given. You are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people. And I love this word, that God's promise is for all people. I wanna teach you something theologically today, something really deep. Let me tell you the deep uh, understanding of the biblical word, all. Here's what it is. I learned this in seminary. All means all, and that's all, all means. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Um, So when he says this is a promise for all people, it's a glorious reminder that is often forgotten that Jesus is for everybody. His promise is for everybody. Do you hear me? Like I really, when I say everybody, I mean everybody. 
I mean the people that you wouldn't normally think it's for, he's for, the, the people that you would normally think wouldn't belong in places like church, the people who maybe seem like they've gone a little too far, the people who maybe live in a part of the world where this is not really popular. Yeah, Jesus, this promise, it was always for everybody. And the Bible says in verse 32, He's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many and Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Now, this is an interesting teaching, but it's so prophetic. Simeon is pointing out here the depth and truth of this gospel good news message. That this was not just a baby that was come to live and walk amongst the sick and bring them healing and teach people the way of God and through messages that he would give and an example he would set would turn the world upside down. Simeon was beginning to point out here that Jesus would call people to himself in a way that would unite people to God but divide people amongst themselves. Because oftentimes, people are excited about a savior, but they're not really interested in a king. And Simeon was highlighting this and then would go deeper in this teaching as he prophesied over this child. Verse 35, he told Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And we'll unpack that more in a moment. So in this moment, we have Simeon. I mean, just picture this. The temple court is a busy area. It would be like us going to um, a busy shopping center, standing in the middle of Pioneer Square on a busy day, and sort of making a scene in a ruckus. That's sort of what was happening here. And this other person walks up, and her name is Anna. The Bible says, verse 36, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She, would advance, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. Now, this is a woman who knows what it feels like to be forgotten. In this culture, in this time, so much of who you were was determined by who you're married to. And as a woman, she, in some circumstances, would have been overlooked tragically by society. But what we see here, never by God. Never forgotten by God, he and his grace and his sovereignty drew her in as a special player in this story. And as a prophetess, that word in this uh, instance in the Greek, it means someone who can boldly declare the word of God. So even as this older lady advanced in years, she was a teacher of the word of God. And yet, what was she doing with her life? Verse 37 tells us she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. It started off as this dedication, and it became this party. As these two people advanced in age, mostly forgotten in many circumstances by culture, found the promise that they were looking for. We have so much to learn and unpack from this today. And it's my prayer that we will. So let's ask God to help us understand. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for a story that reminds us that you've come to seek and to save 
everybody. You've come to seek and to save the lost, that your promise is good, your hope is real. Help us to understand more clearly today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, and all God's people said, amen. I think there's three quick things that we learned from this today. The first is this, God intentionally reveals his promise. God intentionally reveals his promise. We saw that in verse 26, it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Why is this so important? Why is this such a glorious element of this story? Doesn't this seem basic? No, not really. No, I think relationships, the key to a healthy relationship is to have defined sets of promises. For example, like, is this person just my next door neighbor? Are they my future lifelong friend? Are they my Christmas light rival and enemy? I don't know. We just need to work this out because until we define the promise, we're just going to be working this out and it's going to be awkward. Uh, well, what about this person? Are they my coworker? Like, am I their boss? Or am they my boss? Are we rivals? Are we friends? Like, what's going on? on here and what about in relationships like it can get really tricky right that's why everybody at some point in college goes to a coffee shop and has a DTR like what are we right now I just don't know and it's like sir please I'll tell you in a second um, so yeah defining the promise is really important because otherwise we hold people to promises they may have never made and I have come to find in about a decade plus of ministry that this is something that people do with God all of the time. People are always holding God to promises that he has not made. And that's where things get really complicated. To clearly understand the promise of God is the first step in walking in his fullness in this beautiful relationship. I'll give you an example. I have people ask me all the time, if God is so good, why is this world so bad? Why do bad things happen to good people? In that moment, here's what people are really doing. They're holding God to a promise that he never made. It gets complicated. My daughter um, loves to play with toys. Uh, she loves to create worlds and characters, and yesterday she asked me to stop and play with her for a few minutes. And so we had these little critters. There was a frog and a panda bear, and we were talking back and forth. And uh, this happens all the time. My daughter, was she was the panda bear. I was the frog, and she asked the frog, do you know Jesus? And I was like, ugh. I'm the best dad in the world. I'm just discipling her to godliness. And then I'm brought back to earth immediately when we go to try to put her shoes on and it's like World War III. I'm like, faith without works is dead, baby. I don't care if you know Jesus. You got to live him out and obey me some, like once a week. Um, but my daughter would just go on to tell the story. So I was like, tell me about Jesus, panda bear. And um, she starts where we should all start. She started with the Garden of Eden. She just began to tell the story that so many of us have come to know. The world was perfect and good, and God made it so. And he had one rule in this beautiful, perfect garden to prove that freedom is real, that love is a choice. He gave a choice, and there was one tree he said to stay away from, and yet the man and the woman did not stay away. They wanted to be like God without God, and in doing so found sin and separation from God. 
The Bible will go on to teach us that sin is not just a series of actions, like falling short, telling a lie, doing a naughty deed. Sometimes we think of these sins as just this box of fun but naughty stuff we should stay away from. The Bible has a much more dire picture of sin, that sin is a fatal disease. And just like any disease, it causes brokenness and it has symptoms. And if you could imagine not just a sin of the soul, but a sin of the culture and a sin of people, what would you imagine to happen after generations of people living in this genetic contagious disease that every person now born on the planet has? Not just a set of behaviors, but a condition. What would you expect? You'd expect brokenness everywhere. You'd expect broken people doing broken things, breaking down and hurting each other all of the time. And yet as we look into our world, that's exactly what we see. And God promised, with me there is no brokenness. Apart from me, there's nothing but brokenness. Even for good people, if you're living in the midst of a broken world, you will be touched by heartbreak. You will be touched by soul break. So where is the goodness of God in the midst of all of this? Where is the promise of God? Where is the hope? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Because it's certainly something that Simeon knew about. It is certainly something that Simeon was referring to. This teaches us that our salvation is no accident, that it was purposed, and it was planned. You have never been forgotten. You have always been pursued. This world is filled with problems, but God has one glorious promise. Let me read it to you. May I? We find it in Isaiah chapter 9. I was going to anyway. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. The Bible says this. Oh, I love it. For unto us, how personal. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And hear his name, will you? His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Where is the promise of God? It is simple. It is whole. It is complete. The promise of God is Jesus that there is one who was coming and has now come. And here's who he is, not just a baby, but a counselor and a mighty God and an everlasting father and the one who will set all these wrong things right, not just once, but once and for all. That's the promise of God. It is clearly defined in the person of Jesus. Let us never miss it. So many times I come to God wanting answers and he gives a promise. So many times I come to God wanting short-term solutions, but he gives a forever savior. God defines his promise. There's a second thing that we see in this. God perfectly fulfills his promise. God perfectly fulfills his promise. In verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold... This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Why 
Did Simeon let this story take a dark turn? Because as we know, in the heart of this story of good news, and that's what gospel means, it means good news. In the heart of this story of good news, we hear that there was more to the story, the dark part. You see, because the promise teaches us that we as human beings didn't just need the good example that Jesus would set. That the people that Jesus lived amongst didn't just need physical healing in their day and time at one place, in one era. That we just didn't need someone to come and preach these great sermons because our deepest issue was our sin and our separation from God. And sin is not something that we can be taught our way out of. We cannot work our way out of it. We cannot find a good enough example to find our way out of sin because it is like a disease and we can't talk our way out of a disease. There has to be a remedy. There has to be a healing. And here's the deal with sin. The price has to be paid of a death. And when we see this, Simeon is referring to a prophecy that he knew about. A message that had been foretold because not only did the scriptures say that Jesus would come and be a wonderful counselor and a mighty God and the friend that sticks closer than a brother and the one who has never, ever forgotten you. Not only was he coming to do that, but he was a baby who was born to die. And when Simeon looked at Mary in her eyes, he said, one day this little baby will cause your soul to be pierced. I think he knew that there was going to be a moment outside the city gates when this mother would watch her grown son, who had been captured in the middle of the night, betrayed by a friend, drugged into the midst of a sham trial, forced to have his arms stretched out, nailed to a cross to pay for the price of you and me. And he knew in that moment she would experience nothing less than her soul feeling like it was pierced. And Simeon knew this was all part of the plan. Why? Because the scriptures had already foretold it. Our salvation was no accident. I want to read you this beautiful scripture. It's in Isaiah chapter 53. And uh, I've given this illustration before, but I always love to point it out. I heard a story about a man one time who was trying to bring up uh, Christ or the gospel or start spiritual conversations in his office. But he lived in a place where there were no other believers. And to be honest with you, most people just didn't take him that seriously. Like the whole attitude was sort of like, I can't believe you believe that stuff. I can't believe that you, uh, you know, put your faith in all of that stuff. And the guy was trying to tell them, no, this is beautiful. This is a faith where your questions are welcome. This is a faith where you do not have to leave your brain at the door. You can engage thoughtfulness. You can say things like, we believe that the laws of reality are governed by logic. And that is true as we ponder this faith. But no one would want to have the conversation. And so one day he decided to just try an experiment. So he took the passage we're about to read and he just wrote it out on a piece of paper. And he never said where it came from. He just wrote out these words they were about to read. And he passed them around to people in his office and he would say, just read this. And people would read it. And he would say, who is that about? And they go, oh, it's about Jesus. And we go, what? Who is it about? They go, it's about Jesus, obviously. And he goes, obviously? And they're like, why are you being so weird? Yes, this is obviously about Jesus. And he would say, how sure are you? And person after person would be like, 100% sure. Basically like, get this, get this out of way from me. You know I don't believe in this stuff. And he goes, well, would it change anything if I told you that these words were written 700 years before Jesus ever set foot on the planet? 
And people are astounded. And it reminds us that not only does God define his promise, but in Jesus, he has kept his promise. Let's read it together, because this is what it took. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Reminds me of how his own followers fled the night he was crucified, about Peter, one of his best friends, denied even knowing him. When it talks about him being acquainted with grief, it makes me think about the moments before he was captured and he was praying to God saying, if there is any other way, if there is any other way to keep your promise, please do it. The Bible says he sweat actual drops of blood as he pondered what was coming. In that moment, I really believe that Jesus knew the worst part wouldn't be the nails or the crown of thorns, but the anger of God for your sin and my sin, your betrayal and my betrayal, our sinful condition. The anger of God had to go somewhere. And the Bible says that as he hung there, he who knew no sin became sin, and Jesus would cry out on the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we know the answer to that question that Jesus was betrayed in our place so that we might become the children of God. For all who believe, what a story. Verse 4 would go on to say this, Surely he has borne our griefs, and he has carried our sorrows. And yet we have esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us, what? Peace. Why is he the prince of peace? Because he's the one who paid our price. And look at this. With his wounds, with his wounds, with his wounds, we are healed. I tell you what, the world is filled with good intentions, yes. I can have the best intentions in the world. There's a lot of questions that we have to ask about God. Here are the two most important, I think. Number one, is he really willing to save us? Is he really willing? I know a lot of people that that's what they're still dealing with. They don't know if they trust the heart of God. Today, if you don't know, your questions are welcome. Spend the time. Don't make a jump that you haven't really bought into yet. But in this, I believe we see the heart of a willing God. But I'm telling you what, good intentions are not enough. I can want to be a great dad, but if I never put in the work, if I don't show up, right? If I don't make sure that I can actually provide and like be available in my kid's life, good intentions are not enough. So I can't just ask if God is willing. The second question is, is God able? Is he able to fulfill his promise? And we have the declaration once and for all as we see Jesus giving his life for us that not only has God been willing, he has always been able, not just for Jesus to go to the cross, but that Jesus would overcome the cross because he was buried, but he didn't stay buried three days later, the greatest victory of all. Death was defeated. Sin was broken, and Jesus is alive. We want answers. God gives a promise. We want solutions. God gives us a Savior. 
It's because God perfectly fulfills his promise in Jesus. And that's the third thing that we see. God's promise is the hope of the world. God's promise is the hope of the world. The beautiful thing about this gospel is you don't have to add anything to it. He's enough. And I really mean this. The longer I spend walking in the gospel, I'm finding he is enough. I was just telling somebody the other day, this is a little trivia fact about Aaron Bennett, the guy talking to you right now, is when I was young, I was a child actor, which was fun. Some of you guys know this, but it messed up my identity a little bit. Uh, We've talked about this in group therapy. (laughs) So, uh, but what made me think of it is as I was thinking of Christmas movies, um, I was thinking about the movie, The Santa Claus. Anybody ever seen that with Tim Allen? I actually auditioned for that movie when I was little. We went up to Asheville, North Carolina. Um, I got to read the script. a lot of people thought I was a shoe in for the part. I didn't even get a call back for that audition. So what I'm saying is, um, if it wasn't for that, my career dying, I might never be standing here today. So thank you, Tim Allen, for rejecting me. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So where was I going with that? Because I'm like, totally. <laughs> what was enough for me to grow, like to be able to come into a role where you're often rejected. Like ministry, like if you want people to be your best friend all the time, become like a gospel preaching person in the least religious city in America. It's like the doorway to popularity. No, it's not. And like this work has been weightier than anything I've ever imagined. And I would have never been able to go through it with all those identity issues unless something had changed in me. And here's the thing that was enough for me more deeply understanding the gospel and how Jesus is enough for me. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel is it is our hope. It is the hope of the world. There are so many facets to unpack, so many parts to understand, so many things to internalize about this good news that if you are so deeply wanted, if Jesus is so very much enough, then it is enough to heal me from my hurts, my habits, and my hangups. His power is enough to break my chains. His power is enough to give me hope. His power is enough to say in the midst of the darkest night, there is always a glimmer. Sin is real and the enemy is powerful. But because Jesus is alive, darkness never gets the final say. There is a light that overcomes. And he is not impersonal. His name is Jesus. Look at verse 30. Looking at the face of that baby into the eyes of wonderful counselor, mighty God, become flesh and living among us. And here's what he says. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Where do you need salvation today? Where do you need hope today? This is not just a Jesus answer because we live as practical people in a practical world with each other. My practical solution is finding deeper ways to look to Jesus. And when we do, (laughs) we find a promise that we will never be forgotten. We can build communities where people are not forgotten. We can begin walking with each other, even as imperfect as we are. If we do it in the name of Jesus, we have grace for each other so that no one is forgotten. Because God always keeps his promises, there will always be hope. And our question today is just simple. Where do you need hope? And who in your life needs hope?
Here we have Jesus. Simple story. Little characters to remind us that there are no little characters in the kingdom of God. Are you glad for that? I'm going to ask for our musicians to come forward and let's just have a moment of reflection today. Man, it's been such an honor and a privilege to study this message with you. I feel so vulnerable to teach this because of how real it's become in my life. And I can tell you, it's not just a promise to hear. It's a promise to respond to. The power is in the response. Well, the power is there. The power in our lives is how we yield. So that word, when we look back to Simeon, we see that he was a spiritual person, that he walked with God. He benefited from this promise. Why? Not because he invented it. He didn't add anything to it. He just aligned himself. He aligned himself. He yielded to the promise of God. And here's what that looks like in our everyday life. If you've never become a follower of Jesus, it's coming to a place where you say yes. And because of the scriptures, we know what that looks like in Romans 10. Someone's calling me. Sorry, there's another calling right now that we are rendering to. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and that's aligning ourselves to the prophecy given about Jesus, that he's not just a baby in a manger and the one who set a good example, that he is wonderful counselor, almighty God. It's coming to a place where you believe Jesus is who he says he is. And then Romans goes on to say, and confess him as the Lord. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. The Bible says when we tell him that he is the Lord of our lives, we are saying that he really is the king of all kings. He is the king of our life that is going to set wrong things right. And we're not going to try to figure it out for him. We're not going to try to add to the work that he is doing. We are going to respond and yield to his grace and his love and his power because he went before us and showed us what sacrifice really is. So if you've never come to that place in your life, we exist as a community to walk with you on that journey. If you have questions, ask your questions. If today is the day, then mark it on your action card or grab someone or let's go to coffee and unpack it together. But I wonder if you're anything like me, there's areas in our lives to yield to God today. Areas where we need his power. Areas where we've been trying to do it on our own. And today we are gonna find real hope again. Let's just respond to Jesus today and say yes to what he's doing. Would you bow your head with me? I wonder if there's anybody in here right now that needs to be reminded of the hope that is rooted in his promise. Take a moment and just allow his spirit to work in your life. In just a moment, we're going to continue singing these beautiful songs that point our hearts to God. We've also set out the elements of communion, the Lord's Supper. And as we take the bread, as it's broken, we are reminded that he was broken so we could be healed and be made whole. As we dip into the juice, we remember his precious blood. His blood that washes away all of our sin and leaves us, as the Bible says, as clean as snow. <laughs> and we do this as Jesus instructs us in remembrance of him because when we remember, we are realigned to the power. We drown out the lies to tell us we have to be enough on our own. We drown out the lies to say the story is over. We drown out the lies that would push us away to our sin and ourself we remember his love, his promise, and his power. 
Let me pray for us and we'll respond as the Spirit leads. Jesus, thank you. I'm so humbled by this word. I'm so humbled by these people. Let us be a church that loves you more for who you really are. Let us allow you to speak your promise to us, never receiving them as consumers of a product, but those who would yield to their Father. I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself in new ways. Empower us with your grace, your hope, your mercy, your promise. We pray over our city, Jesus, that you would draw many people to yourself and you would send us out to live and preach this good news. Thank you for the greatest gift the world will ever know. Let us be full partakers. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to go and receive the elements of the Lord's Supper as the Spirit leads. If you're a believer in Christ, I would love for you to join. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast of Spring of Life Church, where our mission is to invite thirsty people to become disciples of Jesus. For more information or to plan a visit to our church in Portland, visit us at springoflifepdx.com.